0: Welcome to Into the Known, a podcast focused on helping you find the known within you. With you today are your hosts, myself, Lisa, and Cindy, and we have a very special topic today, one of our favorites. We're going to cover Tarot.
1: Lisa, I'm so surprised to hear you say this is one of your favorite topics.
0: I should say it's one of your favorite topics.
1: <laughs> I like it. but oh, it it's your... is absolutely <laughs> one of my favorite topics. I'm just surprised to hear you say that it might be one of yours. I think your enthusiasm is catching. <laughs> <laughs> my enthusiasm is catching what yes. shocking <laughs> wonders my enthusiasm is quite contagious when I want it to be so it was nice to hear at least they're ready to have this conversation because it's been on our list for a year now yes
0: it has wait have we
1: really been doing this for a year uh no not quite a year not a Year would be July but yeah but Close. still like I mean I think I've been planning on this for over a year so <laughs> Good times. So just for all of you who are new to Tarot or are looking for the historical perspective, um, I'd like to do a shout out to Lindsay Mack, who has an amazing podcast called, uh, I think it's called The Medicine Tarot. We'll drop a link and then also we'll drop some links on the historical um, uses. So just to give the framework for how Lisa and I use Tarot is we do come from it from a clairvoyant standpoint and we don't rely as heavily on the historical context, but we will leave in the resources books that both of us have found useful podcasts that we find useful and other resources that have helped to frame our understanding or that we are in alignment with the information provided. So if that's what you're here for, this is not the episode for you and you can go about your day. But for the rest of you, this is going to be really fun. So let's dive in, Lisa.
0: Let's do it. I think I'll start with my initial beliefs about Tarot, right? So growing up in a very religious family, Tarot is like, oh my God, no. It's like right up there with Ouija boards. Like
1: of the devil. Have we talked about Ouija board? We've no. talked about Ouija boards, you and me, but we haven't talked about Mm-mm. it on the podcast, right? Yeah, no. Okay. You might hear us make some passing references because we both have similar pictures about it. Right. Just FYI. <laughs> <You> know, a <laughs> little, for- little fortune telling for you. Yes. So
0: growing up, you know, it was very taboo. You can't, you know, don't talk about it. Don't, don't, don't even think about it. Don't go and get involved with that stuff. Um, so there was a, a lot of superstition around Tarot. And and the only ways that I saw it being used as I sort of started exploring this world of different ways of looking at the world, it was all very much about fortune telling and telling people like, okay, this is in your future and that is in your future. The cards say this, the cards say that about you, and that never resonated with me. I had a a really hard time with that because I think intuitively I knew, you know, your future is not set in stone. You make choices along the way and your path is is not a straight line. So tarot and I just never really got along when I was in my younger years. And then I started realizing that tarot can be used as a healing tool, a tool of self discovery. It's more about learning about who you maybe not so much. Well, maybe who you are, but where you are at in this moment in time when you're looking at tarot. So I started to change my aversion to tarot to something like Oh, wow, that It's a really useful tool.
1: So I'd like to point out that Lindsay Mack, I'm pulling up the name of her podcast right now, her whole thing is using tarot as medicine. And so I, I share this with you and with our wanderers in case that resonates with you that that's something, oh, it's called tarot for the wild soul. Her whole thing is how we can use these cards in a healing and medicine capacity. And while I don't always like see eye to eye with her interpretation or her approach, it is one of my biggest recommendations to people when they first get into Tarot because she has so much knowledge about it from a historical perspective. And then she does use clairvoyance with it. And so that might be of interest to you just in your own journey. Mm -hmm. So- I will share my beginning point with Tarot. And I think I shared this um, last season. Tarot was my entry point into spirituality. And it's what you just said, Lisa. Like, I wanted to know my future. I had been to a couple psychics. They used cards. I thought that that was a way to find out what what my future held and a way to have access to that information when i started to learn to read tarot i discovered how much of a misnomer that was and that for me it's actually just a tool of my clairvoyance it's an extension of my clairvoyance it was not taboo when i was a child though when my mom discovered i had brought tarot cards into the house um as an adult, she's like, you can't do that. That's like a Ouija board. And I was Mm. like, yeah, mom, no, it's not. And maybe blow the Catholic picture. (laughs) Teensy bit. Exactly. (laughs) And even even now, late into my 30s, I wouldn't say she has a hard time with it. But I would say when we get into the nitty gritty and the tools of the trade, there is, uh, she sees how much my work serves me and, and those around me and how much it helps my dad. But there's definitely like a taboo piece to it um as and they're just cards guys like mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between like they are just cards that have pictures on like they're pictorial representations of something there's someone's interpretation and we've imbued them with meaning and power just like yeah. any other cultural artifact and we can use them for all kinds of things and maybe that's where we go next as we talk about how we use them and then how they're typically used but they're just pieces of paper <laughs> So here's my thing, Wanderers. Here's something you should know. I don't know how often it comes up or how often it came up or when it will come up again. Crystals, tarot cards, runes, I Ching, these for me are extensions of your psychic abilities. And for some people, this is how they have access to their psychic abilities. And for other people, it is a way to detach from your psychic abilities to make it work better for you. That is how I use Tarot to detach from my own perspective or emotion, especially where I am involved, and then use that as an extension. But the cards themselves, for me, do not hold the answers. It's about interpretation. Mm-hmm. Do they hold energy? Yes. Have I picked up, I don't know, a half dozen? I have. No, no less than six feet away from me, probably three dozen Tarot decks because I collect them, I save them, I, I foster them until their owner shows up for them and then I gift them. And so I buy decks knowing that there's an energy in it and I can clear the energy or knowing that that deck is going to be the perfect deck for somebody. But the cards themselves is all about the interpretation whether you're relying on your clairvoyance like Lisa and myself or you're looking at historical trajectories and like what they've meant and what they typically mean or what many tarot readers will say now we may get flack for this and like we're all here for it like we start out saying we use it from a clairvoyant perspective, so please don't hate on us for not going the historical route. There are some things that we probably use loosely. That is a framework from the historical route, but like the the Seven of Pentacles doesn't always mean the same thing in every reading. Mm-hmm. Like regardless of what the historical trajectory means, right. in my experience, right?
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I I like what you said about it's just a piece of paper, right? It's a tool, just like a hammer is a tool, and what you do with that hammer is up to you, right? You can use it to build a house, or you can use it to tear something apart or you know it's a tool i I like that you said it's about the interpretation right so the card is a tool you see the card you can reference the historical meaning but then see if that applies to the situation at hand and so that's where the interpretation and discernment comes in that's one of the things i wanted to you know dispel the notions that the cards have all your answers the cards are a tool that are reflecting where you are in the moment that you're looking at them. They're not the end-all, be-all, the answer. It's a helpful tool to get you to the next step.
1: And that, to me, is one of the reasons why many of the traditional Tarot decks, whether it's the Rider-Waite deck or the Aleister Crowley deck or any of the interpretation decks, like the Celestial deck that I use for Tarot of 2021, if you got that this year, that was one of the decks offered. They Their booklets are so small. And like they say very, very simple things like the hanged man, wisdom, circums, circumspection, discernment, trial, sacrifice, intuition, divination, prophecy, reverse, selfishness, the crowd, body poly- politic. I don't even know what body politic means. I feel like mm. I'm back in grad school somewhere. <laughs> when people use the word politic in different ways, I'm always yes. like, I don't think I understand the word. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to do some Googling. Mr. Google box, ex-husband of mine. Please tell me what I'm supposed to know. <laughs> um. Yeah. I wasn't obsessed with Google for a very, very long time. It was the thing. Those words offer a framework, but like it's it is your discernment, it's your interpretation, it's the spread, it's the energy, it's the person that's there sitting in front of you or yourself. There's so many aspects to it that is is like any other clairvoyant read, right? Like we use it to see or understand or interpret energy for us. That is, that is our starting point. Right. I will also throw in here. That should time permit, we will also discuss oracle cards and how those differ from traditional tarot and when and where that might be more appropriate for a reading or more fun, you know, that type of thing. But we'll see. We'll see how far we get. Sure. So, Lisa, how do you use the cards? You shared with me this morning, you have a um, goddess deck. It's the Chris something or others deck. We'll, Chris we'll drop Walder. a link. Walder. Chris Walder. Yeah. We'll drop links to all of the decks we refer to. Mm-hmm. Um, I will... <laughs> I will because I'll probably refer to like sixteen different decks because <laughs> I work with decks over time.
0: Okay, so my my starting point with uh, Tarot, how I use it is it's it's my go to thing when I'm stuck when I I just can't quite see past something. Then I'll go to the deck and I I actually only use the major um our I guess Arcana cards. I think I say that right? <laughs> no, arcana. 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 Okay.
1: So we. So I was taught to say tarot instead of tarot. Mm-hmm. That is a linguistic choice. I don't know the historical reference. Somebody please email me and tell me, cindy at into the known. Um, that is what my teacher taught me. And then I say arcana. So those are the way that I say those words. And I've asked other practitioners and it kind of just depends, is my my uh, mm. my sense. So if you want to say however you said arcana before, go right ahead. <laughs>
0: I'll just say the major cards. (laughs) I just use the major cards. Um, And I pulled.
1: Can you explain what the major cards are? Because there are going to be people out here, ponders, who don't have never touched a tarot deck. Like, honestly, and I know that because I can think of three people that will listen to this episode and be like, I've never even looked at a deck.
0: (laughs) Good point. Well, I can only speak to the deck that I use. I'm not quite sure about the other ones, Cindy. You can fill in the blanks. But um, in the Goddess tarot cards, there are forget how many there are. I think there's 20 maybe. Uh, they're all go- of goddesses, right? 22. There's 22 goddesses. <laughs> um, and then the rest of the cards are different things like the swords, cups, pentacles, that kind of thing. So they're like the supportive cards. So I don't even look at those.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm going to interject here to give just a, a, a basic overview of yes. Tarot. So the Tarot, a traditional Tarot deck that is either an adaptation of the Rider-Waite deck, which is one of the original ones. I don't think it is the original one, but it's the most commonly used one. We'll have 78 cards. There will be 22 major Arcana cards, starting with the Fool, ending with the World. The Fool can go anywhere in the deck. It shows up as a zero. From there, there are four minor suits that some people argue are the basis for playing cards. I go back and forth on whether or not I think that's true based off of the information I read and how I read it clairvoyantly. In the minor arcana deck or the minor arcana suits, we have pentacles, which typically represent wealth or material goods, cups, which typically represent emotions, wands, which typically represent growth, and swords, which typically represent intellect. You can absolutely bust out your Wikipedia, or I again I'll drop some resources. Mary Greer's um, one of my favorite, like, historical tarot people and, and that I reference when I'm looking for historical reasons. There's a lot more to the minor suits, but as Lisa just said, the major arcana, when they, they show in a spread, typically have big life changes. The minor arcana are kind of the day-to-day life stuff. So you can you can do what Lisa's talking about, which is pull out just the major arcana and use those for interpretation, or you can use all 78 book cards, or you can even just pull out the different suits. Okay, mm-hmm. there we go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Thank you. So as you can see... <laughs> My experience with Tarot is very (laughs) smaller. (laughs) I I just use it in a really, uh, you know, for because to to me, it's a a very daunting pile of cards. And I just was like, oh, I need a I need the abridged version of working with the Tarot. So I'm just going to share the way I use it. So I just pull out the major cards and I'll just do maybe like a three card spread and I'll just flip them over. And um, sometimes I read the little book and. And I'll see like, oh, yeah, that like makes total sense um, to the situation that I'm in right now. So it's sort of the it's the push that I need to be able to see a little more clearly of what the block is that I'm working on when I'm stuck, like I just, you know, I look and I go, what the hell is going on? I don't know what's going on. How do I get out of this? Um, and then the cards, when I pull them, it really helps uh, illuminate either a stuck energy or perspective or a lot of times when I was going through um, like really rough periods, I would always get... Um, the card that was all about uh, the death card. <laughs> but then, but then at the end, it goes, you know, they you die, but then you become out to the light. So sort of you're you're okay, you're in this rough spot right now, but just hold on, you're going to get to the light at the end of it. So so just keep keep going. <laughs> Don't stop. Um, so it's things like that. That's how I use the cards to get me to my next step.
1: And when you're ready to take it to another level, Lisa, I would recommend or encourage you to consider when you have those major arcana cards, maybe you're doing a one card spread or a three card spread, um, where you were, where you are, and where you're headed, using the minor arcana to support or offer insight to what those steps are to get through that card or mm. to get to your next step. That might be a way, since you've already pulled out the major arcana, to kind of really be more intentional. Mm-hmm. For the record, everyone, there is no way to use these cards that is incorrect i've never seen a single person use them in a way that's like oh that's weird like why would you do that um so just however you want to use them and with the major arcana i just also want to shout out one of their podcast um psychic teachers with deb bowen and samantha Fay. they did a whole year um 22 months I think, I don't know if they finished it, of just the Major Arcana, where they would have an episode a month about the Major Arcana card. And so that's another resource that will drop um, that just popped into my head. So I have so many thoughts. I'm like, where do I even start? So while Lisa was sharing with y'all like how she how she uses the cards, I like made a whole new list of things that I want to like talk about. And so I'm like, where do I even begin? I'd like to talk about the first deck I ever got. Actually, when I learned to read Tarot, I had a Rider Way deck. That's not what I call my first deck. My first Deck. I went to Borders when that was still a thing and that was still a store for for you, you, you Gen Zers. You have no idea what I'm talking about and that's fine. And I had just gotten out of my first class and I felt this pull to go to the bookstore. And this is the thing that still happens now. Like I was at Half Price Book last week to pick up something for somebody that I just met because I had a pull to go to a bookstore. And this has been my thing for a very, very long time. I got to Half Price or I got to Borders and Turbo decks are typically in in display cases with a locked key and you have to go talk to someone and it's always awkward and there's judgment and you're just like, oh my God, seriously, like I can't just go pick this deck up. But they're highly stolen. I worked at a bookstore. I know why we do it. There was this Mayan deck that I've never seen again. And it is my it is the first deck I ever used. And the way in which I was taught to use it was to kind of like have a conversation with the cards. One of my guides is super attached to that deck. I can't use that deck to save my life now. I pulled it out um, in last summer just to kind of see, like, oh, I haven't used this deck in a while. I have like a different a different um, container for it. My mom made me like a little pouch for it. Ironic, right? My mom's made me multiple like tarot pouches, but like is not a fan of the the cards themselves. And I realized I had outgrown that deck, but that deck was how I learned to read Tarot for myself. And so the way in which I personally use Tarot in my own life for myself is when I need to look at something that I'm not neutral to. Best example, relationships. M- relationship with men that I'm dating or wanting to date or work relationships, or maybe I have a block of some sort and I'm not neutral and going to the corner of the room is not working for me. And I will do it in this weird third party way. I'll decide like what the spread's going to be. I make up my own spreads. We'll drop a link on like good spreads or web- websites I've used for good spreads personally. And I'll pull the cards and I'll be as detached as possible and I will either record myself as though I'm doing a reading for a client or I will write it out as though I'm doing a reading for a friend. That helps me to like be one step away from the own- my own information because I'm not neutral towards something. And it's so fascinating to see how information can show through different different tools or, you know, techniques like using the cards. It's helped me when I'm really, really stuck to like understand where that block is and where that challenge is. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my common way of using them.
0: Yeah. I mean, similar to mine. I mean, I guess that's why people go get tarot readings anyway. You know, they're stuck. They don't quite know how to get out of where they're at or they, you know, need a focus or a vision for something new. So
1: it makes sense. Yeah. And it's so funny you say that because a lot of clients this year um, have asked like, well, how are you doing? Like, how can you tap into my energy through a computer? And I'm like, it's just energy across the space and time doing Tarot readings is incredibly challenging on Zoom. And I can't mm. quite figure out why. I think it has something to do with like having to show the cards and show the spread and be in and out of trance while doing the reading that is much more easy in person. Yeah, It's possible. I've done it. I do it. I. Those are the ones that for me, this is just like a random aside, but those are the ones that I prefer to just record because they're not a conversation, whereas the rest of my clairvoyant reads are all a conversation and a collaboration. Right. But doing... Just like a simple spread for somebody, I can record it, send it. Then if they have a question, they can ask, and we can like start that conversation. But the for me, tarot spreads are very much practic- practitioner focused and driven versus a collaboration between you and the client. Right. that's my perspective.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an information source, I guess. You know, you're you're giving the person information. Where I feel like a clairvoyant read, at least the way that we do it, it's it's kind of a combo of a reading, healing. Yeah, where yeah. A, a tarot read is really just a read. It is information.
1: Yeah, and it, you can use it as you mentioned, like you like using it for healing, and you mm-hmm. absolutely can. And we can sidestep here really quickly to just mention oracle cards and knowledge cards that are more healing focused offer a lot. And some of those do come with energies attached to the cards. Um, but for me, the, the traditional decks, um, Especially the Rider Way deck does not come with, well, it does come with the archetypes, but it doesn't. It's kind of hard. It's like, it's not as well defined. It's much more ambiguous than, say, um, you know, the Universal Goddess deck that I personally love. And that has, you know, different goddesses for the major, for all of the cards. And those come with very specific archetypal energies that are embedded into the card simply by way of identifying this as Artemis or Diana or. Lilith or Eve, those, you know, you are putting an archetype into a card and that's a little bit different. Although many would argue that the the archetype of the fool all the way to the world comes with those energies too. I want to share one other use that I've done with the cards before I, I share my fool's journey to enlightenment. In 2019, I got this random clairvoyant hit in a meditation of like using the major arcana to map out my year and to create A, you know, I'm starting at the full and the dates run from this date to that date. And then I, you know, I knew I was ready to switch into the magician because of this. And so for the first few months of 2020, I was tracking my spiritual progress via the archetypes. And this was something I wanted to do because I wanted to understand the archetypes better. Mm. What is What was super challenging in doing this is keeping invested in it and so i i was really into it in the beginning i was looking at it every day i was making my notes i was doing my my journaling and then COVID hit and it was like everything just exploded and so i think i only got i think i got to i was very much past i think i got to the empress or the emperor so i got like four or five cards in i share this so that if you are wondering what might be a way you might engage if tarot is interesting but you're not quite at a point where you want to learn to read the cards or do your own thing you practice doing readings you might consider pulling out the major arcana cards and setting up some parameters to know when you're moving from one card to the next the biggest hit i got about when to switch cuz it was i i had set the intention in the postulate that i would have a very clear hit of when i left the fool and moved into the magician and the magician into the high priestess when i was going from the magician to the high priestess a guy that i had worked with had texted me something random and referenced me as a high priestess. He had no idea what I did, none whatsoever. We had never talked about it. I had made a passing comment here or there about doing meditation. There was no way for him to know. And it was this moment of like, holy hell... I can create something crazy and have that sign which I'm putting in air quotes show up in such a way and it was such a trip to like have that communication with him because he's like I know nothing about Tarot like I had a mentor at one point that was super into it you remind me of her like I think that was the extent of the conversation until we got to like dive into it and it was this moment for me to recognize that people interpret me and my energy be- very different from me but that or from how i see myself obviously but that that can really be informative on where i am on my own path mm-hmm. and so this was like a really cool pivotal moment for me i'm hoping to try this out again I wasn't called to do it at the beginning of 2021 and it's not something I don't feel like I have to wait until like January 2022. Like this is something I feel like I can do over time to whatever degree I want. The challenge within it for me is that there's 22 cards. We only have 12 months. We have 52 weeks, 52 and a half. Nothing divides equally. So I can't be like, I'm going to be in this journey for 10 days and then this journey for 10 days. And as somebody that likes to do that, that's like kind of hard.
0: Well, that is, <laughs> that, that kind of sounds like life. It doesn't conform to the rules sometimes.
1: <laughs> sometimes. I do not know to which you speak, Lisa. I do not. This is all foreign information. I know.
0: I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs>
1: So there's two, there's two other things I want to mention. One, pop culture references to Tarot. Uh, most of it gets it wrong. Hmm. Three places that I've seen get it very, very right. Uh, three books, The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstein, I think that was the first book I ever read that referenced Tarot. I, to this day, am bummed out because she made a deck. She made it limited edition and you can't find it anywhere. Like, I check eBay every so often. Um, I don't even know that I would want it anymore, in all honesty. Like, but I wanted it for a very long time. There is a... So, The Night Circus is adult literature. Um, It's very, like, spiritual. uh, Not paranormal, but, like, woo-woo. If you enjoy that kind of thing. My bestie hated it, like... She got it recommended by two people, myself and somebody else who she's always trusted book recommendations from and she hated it. And I'm like, maybe you just need to read it again. I don't know. Maybe you are in a bad space at the time. The next set of books that I think get it really right is uh, young adult literature, Maggie. I'm going to mispronounce her last name. It's like Stefan Sign or something. It's the Raven Boys. It's four books. Um, and then she's got a spinoff series. And I'm actually re-listening to it right now. And what is so effing amazing about these books and the way in which Tarot gets incorporated is how aligned it is with my practice and how I use the cards and how she presents the information. And my friend that recommended the books to me doesn't do any of this work. And, like, after the first, like, chapter where they talk about tarot or it gets brought up and, like, the process, I, like, messaged her immediately and was like, hey, like, I want you to understand this is what it's like for me, too. The added bonus about Maggie is that she is also an artist, so she created a specific deck for the Raven Boys as well as another one of her series, which I I own both decks. I have not, I'll be completely honest, I have not, like, delved deep into either deck um, for lots of different reasons. Um, And then the third set of books and this is more oracle cards and less tarot is um Caraval by the trilogy oh i can't stephanie garber i think is who the author is again it's young adult and cards play a big role in that as well and in my experience these three books or um series really have spoken to me, so if you're someone that's looking for good b- book recommendations in this world, th- those would be my my recommendations. But I like how they also go so far as to actually create the deck. So there's a mm-hmm. Caraval deck that I actually have. Um, I'm pointing to Lisa. It's <laughs> on. I think it's on this shelf actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and like added bonus, both all of those decks have have like signed cards by the authors because oh, I'm nice. that person. I. I'm that person where, like, a lot of my books are, like, autographed by the authors because I'm a weirdo and my friend got me into it. And she's my book bestie and I love her and she'll never listen to this. So I can just, you know, wax poetically about her. She's an Aries. She's very uncomfortable by emotional expression. So this one's for you, girl. Funny. (laughs) Hey,
0: could you – Because I'm actually not very clear on the difference between Tarot versus Oracle.
1: Yeah, definitely. So the Tarot deck is the 78 cards that has the major arcana and the minor arcana. It was like this, this is where it's like, do your historical research yourself. I know I'm a researcher. I know I talk about it all the time. It's it. I never remember exactly like if The Rider-Waite deck is the original and the history of how it was developed, and I don't personally care, which is why I don't, doesn't, I've looked it up so many times, and, like, I have it open right now, and I'm like, I just don't care, like, and I apologize for that. My understanding of the difference is that the Rider-Waite deck relies on these larger archetypes for the major arcana, and these minor arcana, smaller archetypes to understand and create some sort of like a universal lexicon of how to read the cards, right? That's why we can say coins are typically, coins and pentacles are typically material wealth and cups, is, cups and chalices is typically emotions. Like we have this historical trajectory that tells us this. Oracle cards are vastly different and they oftentimes have a theme and within Within the, the deck, I'm trying, my favorite deck is um, Visions of Oracle, Oracle of Visions. I have to look it up now. And what I love about it is that the author actually, like, there's a huge, there's a huge um, book that comes with it is like, I really didn't want to write the book, but like my manufacturer told me I had to, and I just want you to read these, these books, um, or I want you to read these cards, however they come to you. Oracle of Visions, this is literally my favorite Oracle deck. And it's very like Victorian punk steam, but not quite, steampunk, but not quite. And they offer a looser interpretation. There's more, there's more room for interpretation and less historical lexicon mm. or trajectory to like rely upon. But oftentimes these books are much thicker and they have much more details about what the author's intention was behind that. And the reason I like Oracle of Visions is that First off, first and foremost, the author is like, I want you to read the card for yourself. I want you to look at the picture and say like, this is my interpretation. They're very circusy and carnival-y and that's like super up my alley, Mm -hmm. but also like offers their own interpretation. I use oracle cards when I don't really have a question, but I kind of want to see what energy is around. So if we were to correlate this to doing a, a reading, a clairvoyant reading, I would say that an oracle deck is kind of like looking at the aura and just seeing what's there and the this is such a bad analogy the tarot deck would be more like asking questions and trying to get very specific answers Mm -hmm. that's my interpretation i'm sure somebody's got at least 16 blogs out there and some websites about the biggest difference i use tarot when i have specific questions i use oracle when i'm just kind of playing to see like what's around does that help yeah that's helpful yeah, that's great.
0: What else was on your list? I know there was something else.
1: Um, oh, it was The Fool's Journey. That's the last thing ah, on the list.
0: I love a good origin story or a good creation story or whatever.
1: <laughs> we all know I love a good origin story. <laughs> so my teacher my, my teacher to, that taught me to row, and this is referenced in other books as well, one of her first things that she encouraged us to do was pull out all the major arcana cards, put them in order, and tell The, sto- the Fool's Journey to Enlightenment. I don't know the historical trajectory behind this or the reasons why we do this or if that was the earliest intended use, but it is a framework that I like. And so if you'd like, Lisa, I can tell you a version of the story and we'll see how far I get into it and how repetitive it becomes.
0: Yeah, do it. I want to hear. Tell me, I'm I'm a sucker for a good story. Go ahead.
1: So I'm going to tell the fool's journey to enlightenment, archetypes, people, et cetera, that the fool meets along their journey. And I'm going to do my best to make this gender neutral. If I fall into using gender terminology, I apologize. It's just how the information comes through at this moment in time. But I, I work really hard in this one to kind of make it gender neutral. So we start out with The Fool. And we can say that The Fool is a young, a young person kind of just starting out, maybe like early to middle, young adulthood, Is what I would say, very carefree, very naive, very innocent about the world and is ready to kind of begin their journey towards, uh, in some ways we could say adulthood, in other ways we're going to say enlightenment. Enlightenment here being access to and full uh, awareness of information and knowledge. The Fool begins their journey very carefree, they have their hobo stick on their back, they have a rose in their hand, they have their little dog, they're walking down a cliff, they're coming down. The first person the fool meets is the magician. One of the best things about the magician card, in my personal opinion, is that it represents or what is represented within it all of the minor arcana. The magician offers the fool an opportunity to learn some basics, some foundations, an understanding that there's more to the world than meets the eye, and that maybe magic can actually exist. When the magician shows to the fool, it's often a moment of curiosity, a moment of belief. Uh, I I feel like when I'm in the magician space, it's about returning to my childlike curiosity. And so the fool goes to the magician to seek some so- sort of information. And maybe the fool spends a day with the magician. Maybe the fool spends five years with the magician. And during that time learns about suspending disbelief or suspending belief to understand what's unseen. From there, the fool meets the high priestess. The high priestess is a young woman oftentimes who has a large set of rules about how the world works, has not fully stepped into her or their maturity or sexual exploration is oftentimes how I see the fool interacting with the high priestess. The high priestess is confined by black and white thinking more often than not, is looking for balance, and is in the early stages of their own training. And so what they offer the fool is another glimpse of what the fool might enter into. And so the fool may stop here and take on the high priestess archetype and spend time there to learn about rules and to learn about structure and framework. For me, when I'm in the High Priestess, I'm in a learning phase and I don't have ownership and I'm not empowered by my knowledge. So when the Fool is on their journey to enlightenment, here they are gathering their information. They're in that lit review stage, as I like to call it. From there, when the Fool is ready, they move on to the Empress. And the Empress is all about, there's a mothering, nurturing aspect to the Empress, but there's also a self-empowerment. And this is one of the hardest cards In for my journey and for my fool's journey, this is one of the hardest cards for the fool to work through because there's a lot they've just come out of all of this programming and framework and black and white thinking into a more intuitive stance, understanding how the world works, embracement of all their aspects of self, and really feeling confident in who they are and ready to acknowledge that they've got some level of expertise. One can stay with the Empress for the rest of their life and enjoy that space. One will return to the empress from time to time when that's a necessity. There's a lot about learning about love when you when the fool meets the empress and about how the empress sees the world a little bit different, definitely different than the high priestess and the magician who are about, you know, frameworks and rules and programs, much more about an intuitive stance and understanding how everything kind of comes together to create. And there's a lot of creativity when the fool meets the empress and a lot of ability to play. There's a big play thing here. From there, the, the fool moves to the emperor. I personally like to skip the next couple cards because when the fool meets the emperor, it's about authority, it's about subservience, it's about getting an understanding of how society works. When the fool meets the emperor, more often than not, the fool is at this place of needing potentially needing some sort of discipline or understanding that authority is not actually as accurate or representative as it likes to think it is. And then from there, the Fool moves to the Hierophant. Again, I like, as I mentioned in my own personal journey, I like to skip these two cards. And here we see the Fool having to engage with religion, spirituality, the tangible world, and what remains unseen, and how all of that becomes a control and power structure. And the Fool's challenge here, because the Fool gets challenged at each person that they meet on their journey to enlightenment. The fool's challenge here is, do I become a part of the framework? Do I become a part of the system and I adhere to the control and the rules standing before me and give up my power to something that might be higher than me, may or may not actually be higher than me? Or do I acknowledge that this is an aspect of life, take what information I can, see it for what it is, and move forward? If the fool is lucky, the fool, fool will remember their most recent journey and how they've met the magician and the high priestess who relies so heavily on frameworks and structure and then the empress who's all about the flowy and the the floating and so the fool if the fool's goal on their journey to enlightenment is to disentangle themselves from any sort of authority or that higher level then this is a great moment for them to recognize now we can recognize that th- that they have this opportunity now we can absolutely hold all of these cards and this journey together in its own in its own space or we can stop along the way and have these conversations. And so perhaps the fool stays with the Hierophant for a day, a week, a month, a year, and in that time learns how the Hierophant is able to exert pressure or control over its constituents and or how it provides belief and faith and hope to those around it. From there, the fool continues on their journey. Again, maybe it's a week, a month, a year until they meet the lovers. And it's exactly what it sounds like. The fool's gained enough information at this point to be prepared to understand love, um, affinity for self, affinity for others, love for self, love for others, and has this great, great opportunity to see how love exists in the tangible world and how it might also be incorporated with the intangible world and the spirit world. And so when the fool meets the lovers, there's always some level of discomfort because it's something new, something the fool hasn't experienced quite yet, and something for them to potentially aspire towards or to and maybe even become one of the lovers for a short period of time or a long period of time. When the fool's learned everything they can from the lovers, they move on to the chariot. When the fool gets the chariot, it's more about, again, it's about moving forward, which is the opposite interpretation for most people with the chariot, but it's also about recognizing where you've been and what you have. Again, we have a lot of the dichotomous thinking here with the chariot. You can either move forward or move backwards. You can either engage in war or you can abstain you can either go left or right. And there's a underlying aspect that the fool hits when they get to the chariot on whether or not they imagine all possible outcomes will return should they need them. And so if the fool is interested in learning as much as possible, they will walk away acknowledging that each crossroad may reemerge if and when they need it to. If the fool is looking for a linear path, Then this is going to validate their decision to just continue on one pathway. Most of what the fool learns when engaging with the chariot is a recognition about how the past can impact your present and your future, oftentimes, also how you might continue to move forward through a challenge. From there, the fool meets strength, represented most often by a woman and a lion. Here, the fool, The fool's expectation is to learn about physical strength and prowess and everything. The reality when the fool meets the, the strength card and the archetype of strength is about the precarious balance of exerting strength and power and receiving and being gentle at the same time. And so... It's a little bit of a shock for the the fool when they get to strength to realize that it's not about being the the largest, the best, et cetera. It's about understanding strategy and implementing just enough force or control to continue forward and to engage in their world. At this point, the fool's hit quite a bit of energy, quite a bit of expectation and experience and hasn't had much time to integrate. And so the fool goes to the hermit where they can take some time, reflect ground out what's untrue and integrate what is true for them. One might stay at the hermit or with the hermit for quite some time because of integration and then there comes this comfort of not needing new information, not needing new new experiences and and letting the curiosity kind of wane a little bit. What really happens in the hermit when the fool meets the hermit is is that integration but also a recognition that there's always going to be more information, there's always going to be something new to learn. Now for some They stop here because there's comfort here and they feel complete. And for others, they continue forward to the wheel of fortune. When the fool gets to the wheel of fortune, it's about understanding all options. It's about understanding free will. It's about understanding that you can create your own reality. When the fool gets to the wheel of fortune, oftentimes they're looking at what they might create next, how they might move forward, and how they might use all of these amazing tools and techniques and knowledges that they've gained over the last, you know, nine cards towards what they wanna do next. And so this card oftentimes gives the idea that the fool has a future and has goodness coming towards them and is able to use that as motivation to move forward. From there, the fool goes to justice and and like the hierophant and the emperor for me as a spirit in a female body this is a hard card to hit sometimes because it's all about rules again and it's all about black and white thinking and it's this or that and there's no nuance and so the fool's challenge with the with justice is how is justice implemented how is it received how do you how do you give it how do you receive it and what are the ramifications or the expectations from it if the fool can understand that justice is one perspective of many and that the fool's interpretation of justice is going to be different from the from the lover's perspective of justice they can continue to move forward towards the hanged man which is all about looking at how your perspective on the world when the fool gets to the hanged man is the perspective needs to shift. There is some something going on that the fool has disregarded for the previous 11 cards. And so when the fool gets to the hanged man, the fool really begins to go to the corner of the room. They begin to climb the tree and look down. They begin to look for the forest instead of just the tree, or they look at the beach instead of the grains of sand. And it creates a lot of, it can create for the fool a lot of dissonance and a lot of discouragement. And so the fool quickly oftentimes moves on to death And as we've mentioned and as Lisa mentioned, death is one of the misnomer cards where it feels like it should be heavy, but oftentimes it's actually a big release and it's like letting go of things that aren't working anymore, that have become obsolete out of the fool's journey. The fool also recognizes the power in manifestation here and the power in creating and co-creating and being a part of the future and that to create we must destroy, to have we must say goodbye, to have a hello you have to have a goodbye. And so when the fool gets to death, it's more about recognition that you you have, you have have to let go of something to create something new. And it's really the death card for the fool is all about to create, we must destroy. To build, we must break down. And in life, that is a part of it. But it's more about the faulty logic that the fool has gained over the past 12 cards and how the fool might let go of what doesn't work for them. The Fool begins to recognize that the Empress had her way of understanding the world, and maybe one one piece of that made sense to the Fool, and the Hierophant had all of this information that the Fool really liked. So here is where the Fool begins to ground out everyone else's ideas and just hold on to their own. And then they get, the Fool gets a little bit of a reprieve with temperance, where they learn about patience and temperance and connection. And again, it's a harken back to what the Fool's learned with the Empress about everything working together and how we might see the world and how the fool might integrate and be a part of the healing of the world. And so now the fool's like fairly into their journey and they're coming to understand more about themselves, who they are, what they have to offer and are coming to a point where they're ready to maybe engage the world a bit more. So if we imagine the fool's journey is very isolating and they literally just meet these archetype energies as they're going along and there's not integration into a social space, this is where the fool begins to imagine it or can fantasize about how this might actually look. Of course, once we are able to begin integration, we always hit some level of temptation represented by the devil. When the fool gets to the devil, it's often about the dichotomies. It's about pleasure and pain. It's about understanding balance. It's about giving into temptation to allow the pleasure, but also recognize when that temptation becomes an addiction. And so the fool might find themselves busting through the devil's archetype in a matter of minutes, or they might find themselves stuck there for quite some time because pleasure is a gratification that the fool is really enjoying and is not quite ready to acknowledge that there needs to be a balance with that pleasure. The other thing that often happens when the fool meets the devil is there's a, a deciding factor to continue to move so- move forward and to grow and create change and be a catalyst of their own future or to work backwards and adhere to other people's ideologies or a earlier version of the full self. So the fool has been creating ideologies this entire time in different templates and versions of themselves and the devil gives an opportunity to go back to one that perhaps they didn't know they wanted to play with and so they go back to that crossroads if they were able to see that they could have different pathways and maybe they go back a few cards or a few archetypes and then they come back forward. So for the fool's journey in my, in my interpretation, the devil can be one of those reset cards, like resetting your Nintendo to kind of go back and like retry something. Maybe something didn't work or you need to, the fool's ready to learn something new. Regardless of how and when the fool leaves the devil, the fool heads towards the tower. By far one of the hardest cards for the the Fool to work through because it's a destruction of everything the Fool's just learned, right? So the Fool has been going on this journey for 15 cards now, gaining all this information, really trying to understand what resonates and becomes their ideology. And then they get to the tower and there's this awareness of just having to break every single thing down and start back from scratch. Everything is on fire. Everything is being destroyed. Everything they thought they understood is now gone. If the Fool has gained enough information and enough awareness, they will see the phoenix rising behind the tower. Something that is not depicted in the Rider Waite deck, but is depicted in many, many decks. And one could interpret some of the fire iconography on the tower card as a phoenix rising. But as we all know from Harry Potter, if nowhere else, the phoenix rises out of the ashes. And so the tower, while a very destructive card, actually offers an opportunity almost of like a clean slate for the fool to kind of say this worked this didn't work let me start over let me take this away when the fool hits the tower the fool is going to lose a lot and it's going to suck for the fool and the fool is going to have a hard time for a bit but persistence and endurance will show the fool that there's more to come and in fact can actually move forward towards the star the star when the fool hits the star, it's about understanding being something much larger in the universe and just how tiny the fool actually is. There's an integration of information here. There's an access to past life information when the star shows up. There's an understanding of fluidity and that as below, so above, whatever the, the actual phrase is. And so when the fool leaves the tower and goes into the star there's a seeing a larger picture for the fool and how the fool might once again try to integrate this information and themselves into the world. And as a gentle reminder, the fool may go back and forth between cards and may jump around. It's not always as linear. And sometimes we jump around as on our own journeys because we don't need to work a certain energy. From the star, obviously the next place for the fool to go is the moon. So the star is a small piece of rock and the moon is a large piece of rock. So the small piece of rock allows the fool in the star to understand minor things and larger pictures. But when the fool gets to the moon, it's an integration and understanding of how the planet on which the fool lives is influenced by forces that are outside its understanding. And so when the fool gets to the moon, it's about understanding emotions and how those are impacted by other things going on around us that we don't have control over. It's understanding how our environment is impacted by forces that we don't have control over. So the moon is all about control and relinquishing and surrendering and acknowledging. And so oftentimes when the fool gets to the moon, the fool might also adopt the serenity prayer and might also begin to adopt giving up some part of itself because it can't control and acknowledging its own limitations, their own limitations. When the fool hits the moon, there might also be some sort of integration of animal information, especially if the fool has strong past lives with animal communication or as animals. From there, the fool goes towards the sun, knowing that it's coming towards the end of their journey and is ready to begin to become a herald of their own information and learn how to share with the world and how to be bright and shiny and allow their radiance to kind of fall across the land. When the fool gets to the sun, it's almost like a rebirthing of like feeling good and new and there's a rawness to it, but there's an excitement and that childlike curiosity that the fool began its journey on shows up very strongly when they get to the sun. And there's almost an ownership here of seeing a big picture and being a small person in large in that large picture. From there, the fool gets judgment. And what's so different about judgment here versus justice or the Hierophant or the emperor is that it's not about judging the fool's journey. It's about acknowledging that we judge to be able to make decisions, to be able to have more information. And that without judgment, without understanding, without that framework, we are at the mercy of those judgments because we can't acknowledge them. And so this is an important moment for the fool to take ownership of their journey and what they've learned and how they have more awareness now. And they're quote unquote enlightened and how they might share that with others. And from there they move into the world card. And this is the the top tier of this, this journey for the, the fool where they have all of their information and access to all of their tools and they're able to see everything. And maybe the fool stays in the world card or the world archetype for a day, a week, a year, a month. I did that out of order, but you get the picture. And before they begin their journey again to get another piece of information. And so, what I like so much about the jewel, the fool's journey to enlightenment is not telling the story so much as understanding how integration and interaction with these archetypes really allows the fool to find their own ideology. And so, for me, the fool's journey to enlightenment is about understanding your rules your framework and what works for you and you come and go into these archetypes to learn new lessons and you could write papers on the fool's journeys to enlightenment you could take each of these cards and people have written stories there's some other young adult literature about going through these tarot cards that i haven't delved into but it's been sent to me multiple times now and so for me The Fool's Journey to Enlightenment is not about one lifetime, it's about all the chapters of your life and getting to where you want to go and learning how to navigate all of these different people and systems and archetypes in an effort to understand where you start and where you end. And so that is one interpretation of The Fool's Journey to Enlightenment.
0: love it. It's like, as you were talking about it, it's such a, a journey of gaining knowledge. You know, you're starting out in For as, me, as a, yeah. yeah. No, I love it because it's you're starting out as an innocent. Like I kind of have a little trouble with the word fool, but you know, that's just programming on my part. But I saw it as like, okay, you're an innocent, right? You don't know. And then you start yeah. on this journey and you gain knowledge and you learn and you go through it. Just sounded like life. I'm like, oh yeah, that's life. Yeah. My favorite one, the favorite part that uh, keeps resonating to me was the tower. <laughs> because every time I swear to you, it has happened like a million times in my life. Every time I go, nope, this is it. This is what I believe. That's it. It gets blown up. Something comes into my life and just completely throws that out the window. And so I've come to the point where I'm just like, okay, my, what I believe is going to evolve over time. And there's (laughs) just, I just gotta let that go. I can't like, I, yeah. I can't draw that hard line in the sand anymore. So I love that one. That yeah. was my favorite.
1: <laughs> um the hardest cards for me, as I mentioned, the Emperor, uh, mm-hmm. male control authority, the Hierophant, religious control authority. I have come to love the tower. In mm-hmm. the beginning, the tower was one of I, there are minor arcana card minor arcana cards that I hate more than the tower. And that is courtesy, honestly, of Harry Potter and the Phoenix Rising, and just mm-hmm. understanding how and and the information provided to me by others that you can't create, create anything without destroying something Mm -hmm. that is the law of physics. And you know, we, we, it's a necessity. It sucks when you hit the tower card and you're doing an archetypal journey and you're at the tower card and you're losing friends and you're losing ideas and you're losing projects Mm -hmm. and you don't see the sun And you don't understand that there's going to be relief on the other side. You can get very, very, very stuck. Mm -hmm. And that has always been really hard for me. Much easier now than it was before. But the Emperor and the Hierophant are very much... I just hate engaging in that male control energy and that authority energy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I'll pull out a different deck that has female archetypes instead of the Rider. I don't use the, I mean, in all honesty, I don't use the rider way deck um, unless it's requested by somebody because
0: mm-hmm.
1: of the historical um, information about it. It's just, it becomes very, for me, it's very constraining. And so I don't like it. There's a mm-hmm. hundred other decks that I prefer. You have
0: to have a favorite hammer, right? A favorite tool.
1: <laughs> exactly. You have to have a favorite hammer. Right. <laughs>
0: Oh, I've loved this conversation. I mean, I've learned a lot more, you know, about Tarot, which is great. And I've shared my sort of limited usage for those beginners out there like me um, that, you know, Tarot can be used as a tool and you don't have to know all the rules. You can just sort of get a deck and start playing with it. That's what I really what I want our listeners to to know, uh, especially the beginners. And if you're further along in your journey, Cindy's your gal. (laughs) She she can help (laughs) you.
1: (laughs) <laughs> here is here is my recommendation to every person, and this has always been my recommendation. If Tarot is of interest to you, buy a deck. Don't wait. Just buy a deck and begin to play with it. Start with a three-card spread, where you were, where you are, and where you're headed. Others will interpret that as past, present, future. I don't like that language. Look at the card and decide what's most important in that moment for you. Maybe you pull out the magician card and you notice the infinity symbol on the top and that's something for you. Maybe you pull out the magician card and you see that chalice on the table and that becomes something important to you. The cards, whether it's the Rider-Waite deck or any other adaptation of traditional tarot or using an oracle deck, the pictures are there for your interpretation. Other people have provided their framework. But if you look at the devil and it has nothing to do with temptation, it has nothing to do with dichotomies and has nothing to do with pleasure and pain and addiction, but instead has something to do with maybe religion or your, your parent or something of that nature, your interpretation is not wrong. And that is why we have so many different Tarot decks available to us. I will end saying, follow your intuition where your Tarot deck is is regarded. Maybe you don't have the ability to go to a occult shop right now and look at the decks, but you can go on to tarot.com and look at a lot of decks. There's a couple other ones. I can't pronounce my favorite one, but I'll drop a link. It starts with an A. It's like aesthetic or something like that. It's, it's a weird, I don't know what the word is, so I never say it. Um, <laughs> but there are ways to look at decks. There are merchants that are not Amazon who can you can get decks from. Many, many bookstores and occult shops have tarot decks. Sometimes you just might have to ask for where they are. For me, they're fun. And if nothing else, some of them have some of the most beautiful artwork mm-hmm. I have ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And some of them have really crappy artwork. But their basic symbology is so – it speaks to me and resonates so hard that I keep it. So – and you can – the reason the Mayan deck spoke to me so heavily – had to do with past lives and me bringing past life information in. And if I had not gotten that deck, I would not have certain techniques I have now. So if you look at a deck and you're not sure why you want it, and you have the ability to buy it, play with it and see what shows up because you don't know. And if you're at a used bookstore and you notice a deck that's kind of wonky and you don't feel like it should go to anyone else, you are more than welcome to purchase that and find a release for it. A couple of practitioners will do like setting it on fire and releasing releasing it out in water, like flowing flowing river or something. So there are ways, like if you are aware that a deck has a weird energy, there are ways to like obviously rid the deck of the weird energy, but also to release the deck and allow it to allow any energy stagnant there to go out. That's more of a ritualistic thing, but I'll drop a link about it. That's all I got.
0: Lisa. If you couldn't tell listeners, Cindy really likes to row. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: just want to throw that out there. And I'm glad
0: we got to talk about it because it's, it's actually, it's a fun tool to use, um, however you want to use it sky's the limit
1: yeah and if you've ever told the fool's journey to enlightenment or that sounds like something of interest we want to hear it we want to listen to it record yourself send me the link to google drive tell your story share share with us your experience and i don't think this will be our only episode on tarot and oracle decks because this was just scratching the surface so don't worry Mm -hmm. wanderers. we'll probably revisit it maybe we'll bring a guest or two on at some point about it
0: yeah that's a great idea love it
1: that's all I got Lisa you got anything else no I think we're good all right wanders. you know you know what that means this is my part saying do you follow us on Instagram if not it's at into underscore the underscore known you can also follow Lisa directly which is at insight in harmony with and spelled out you can find us on into the you can like that podcast and share it with your friends that really does help us as do reviews I still don't understand podcasting world by the way so if somebody wants to explain this process to me you go right ahead and 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 if you have any thoughts on what you want us to talk about, you want to be a part of our conversation, feel free to drop us a note, Cindy, C-Y-N-D-I, because I am weird, at intothenone.com. So until next time, wanderer, enjoy the wonder.